Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, so President Trump has been nominated by a member of the Norwegian Parliament for a Nobel Peace Prize, and yet somehow that is not the headline news. Um, We've talked about the president's significant role and the role of his administration in brokering the historic accord between the UAE and Israel, and um, I believe how that sets the stage for other nations in the Middle East to take positive steps in that direction as well. Any other president, I'll just say that, any other president would be being internationally celebrated right now. Um, so, however, Bob Woodward uh, wrote a book. It seems that every president succumbs to the temptation to give this particular journalist uh, really unequaled access. And the president delivered some 18 hours of audio recorded interviews with Bob Woodward. Um, Those interviews are now the basis of a book. And um, President Trump, you know, maybe not surprisingly, uh, was making an effort to protect the people of the United States as best he could from panicking when there was not a lot of information available about how we would best handle what we now know to be the COVID-19 coronavirus global pandemic. So um, maybe I'll just say this, uh, you know, I'm going to give you the truth. I'm going to give you the whole truth that I know. I'm going to give you nothing but the truth. And I'm going to do so in as measured tones as possible because I'm not interested in provoking fear, but I am interested in each and every one of us being as prepared as possible to meet the challenges of the days in which we live um, as responsibly as absolutely possible in this generation. Also yesterday, President Trump released a list of 20 additional individuals. And from the now list of nearly 40, the president says that he would fill potential vacancies on the United States Supreme Court should he be elected to a second term. Some very interesting names on the list, and we will talk about that in the coming days I, I scanned the list, and I think that we've only had one person on the list as a guest here on the program, and that's Josh Hawley. We've also had his wife here on the program. Um, so anyway, interesting uh, interesting names on the list. The U.S. Department of Education issued new new regulations yesterday requiring all public colleges and universities that are federal grant recipients, which is pretty much everybody, to comply with first with the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. This is going to affect those colleges and universities that seek to restrict speech, both of um, those whom they employ, such as professors and certainly students. And so those places where there are those like free speech zones and then you can't exercise free speech anywhere else, 
yeah, that's not going to fly now under these new regulations of the U.S. Department of Education. It is a huge um, tome, and so we're not going to try to unpack it today because most of us have not sufficiently perused it or read it. And so um, we're going to hold that conversation off for a couple of days as well. Let me bring you up to date very, very quickly on the fires that are raging across the west coast of the United States. Strong winds are expected to continue to propel those fires today. Let us absolutely be praying for the firefighters, um, for people in harm's way, for communities that have literally burned to the ground in California, Oregon, and Washington states. Governor Kate Brown of Oregon said yesterday, we expect to see a great deal of loss, both in structures and in human lives. This could be the greatest loss of human lives and property due to wildfires in our state's history. California's wildfire season is already the most severe in modern history, measured by um, acres of land. 2.5 million acres of land have already burned in California this year. And in Washington state, Governor Jay uh, Inslee said 480,000 acres had burned across the state this week, um, and nearly all of the homes and municipal buildings, including the post office and the fire station in the small town of Malden, burned to the ground. There is no town of Malden, Washington, any longer. One pastor in Medford, Oregon, uh, who I follow on Twitter, lost his home yesterday to the fire. Um, These are personal stories, and they're not just confined Um, to things here in the United States. Also want to be praying today for 13,000 refugees who were living in a refugee camp in Greece. That refugee camp burned to the ground yesterday. And and the Greeks are saying, we literally don't know where where we're going to place these 13,000 people from 70 nations. Lots of cause for prayer today. Um, The world is on fire. And we are going to be people who... Um, represent Christ in the midst of all of it. Ben Johnson is up next. We'll be right back. This is my right. Joining me now, Ben Johnson. You can find him at the Acton Institute, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. He also tweets at The Rights Writer. Ben, welcome back. Good to be with you, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. So we have talked uh, here about the situation um, related to Jimmy Lai a couple of times with David Aikman, who is a personal friend of Jimmy's. Um, but you have an update for us, and you've got a blog posted about it at Acton. So bring us up to date on Jimmy Lai. Well, there's some good news. Of course, Jimmy Lai, the publisher of Apple Daily, a self-made billionaire who's come literally from nothing to the very pinnacle of society. And Apple Daily is a Hong Kong-based publication that's critical of the the mainland Chinese government based in Beijing run by the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party has been increasingly encroaching upon the rights of Hong Kong, as we've discussed many times, and um, in in, uh, particular... They put Jimmy Lai on trial uh, for two things. First of all, he's been arrested for violating the national security law, which 
is incredibly broadly worded. It's incredibly vague. In fact, uh, two members of the United Nations wrote an entire report on this, and they said that it violates basic human human rights and human uh, human dignity. It should be uh, rethought in their terms. They're very very uh, copacetic with their language, uh, very sanitized in their language. But it's a stunning critique coming from the United Nations, which often has very little to say when it comes to communist nations. Uh, but Jimmy Lai was put, uh, he was arrested for that. However, he was on trial for a totally different crime, so-called. In, 2000, uh, in 2017, he was at a Tiananmen Square memorial service. He said that there was a, a reporter for a rival publication called Oriental Daily News who had been tracking him, stalking him, standing outside everywhere he goes, flashing cameras in his face, uh, writing everything that he says down uh, and, and often distorting it and uh, really going out of his way in a, in a way to harass a member of a rival publication. Uh, at this Tiananmen Square altercation in uh, June of 2017, Jimmy Lai lost his temper and, and he used some foul language, but that was it. He was put on trial three years later for allegedly threatening to assault and intimidate the man. Uh, now, it's curious that when Beijing began cracking down on Hong Kong, they went after Jimmy Lai on this outlying charge. Uh, the man, whose name has been kept anonymous, uh, has claimed that he's suffered from depression and, and uh, he hasn't been able to, to work or go about normal life ever since this terrible incident. Uh, the judge, thankfully, last week threw it out, said that there was nothing to it. This was a momentary flash of anger. He wasn't trying to intimidate anyone. He didn't really threaten anyone. He's, he's not a young man. Uh, and, and he's not someone who's particularly uh, imposing in a physical way against this young uh, gentleman reporter. And so that could be thrown out. So that much is good news. The bad news, he was facing five years uh, in prison or more for that. The bad news is he's still on trial for violating the, the national security law. That's yet to come up. Uh, and that has not been tried in the courts yet. He could face life in prison for that. When we When we think about religious freedom and we think about um, the relationship that people of faith have to various nation states. Um, I'm not sure that Americans understand just how great our freedoms are here. We, we never appreciate the full extent of our freedoms. And uh, I'm afraid that uh, it could take a situation like he's facing where we actually lose some of our freedoms or come under persecution before we appreciate what we once had. Jimmy Lai very much is a man of faith, by the way. He's a Christian believer. He happens to belong to the Catholic Church, but he's been outspoken about his faith in Jesus Christ, his Savior. And he said no matter what is done to him, he's not going to change the editorial line of the Apple Daily, which is pro-democracy, pro-human rights, and takes a generally a Christian view, even though Hong Kong is, is not primarily a Christian uh, province. And he says, compromise is not what this company was created for. We're not going to change the editorial line no matter what. And he has compared himself in some ways in his suffering in a very small way to following in the footsteps of Christ. He's even talked about how if he has to suffer for Hong Kong, uh, he's willing to do so. He says, if I give up anything for it, it's a redemption for me. Mm. So he's so grateful for the opportunity he's had to be a self-made billionaire and for the ability to spread the message of freedom, which is why he plowed all of his money into this organ giving voice to human rights and human dignity, that uh, he's willing to give up everything. This is a man who could have fled the country the moment these charges were put down. 
He owns multiple homes around the world, and yet he is staying and facing this to show the full evil of the system that's being imposed there and the system that so many people in this country wish to import. Ben, um, when we come back from a very brief break, I would love for you to help us understand um, a phrase. Uh, maybe it's a maybe it's a term, a term or a phrase that gets thrown around a lot in today's political discourse. Uh, I hear it um, spoken frequently on on the right about the left, and I'd love for you to help us understand it. the The word or the phrase is cultural Marxism. So next up, Ben Johnson is going to help us understand this term or this phrase, cultural Marxism, as it relates to the 2020 U.S. election rhetoric. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. It's like a prize, sunrise, waiting on the other side of the darkest night. Don't ever lose hope. Hold on. Continuing my conversation now with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. All right, Ben, the term or the phrase is cultural Marxism. I hear it a lot. How is it being used and what does it mean? Well, the phrase cultural Marxism, it's true. You hear it a lot and it can be used imprecisely. It can even uh, sometimes it's, it's called a conspiracy theory or it's dismissed as though there's no such thing. And quite often because of the way that it's used uh, rather promiscuously, it, it can be uh, used in cases where it doesn't apply. It can sometimes have an anti-Semitic application uh, there were a series of books called The Culture of Critique by Professor Kevin MacDonald, which were pretty explicitly anti-Semitic and which focused on uh, this school. But that doesn't mean, even with all of those accretions, it doesn't mean that there isn't such a thing. Uh, not only do academics uh, understand the term, and they've used the term, although they usually use the term neo-Marxism, but uh, the communists themselves talk about this as though it's uh, a viable pattern in fact, it's been the most successful, you could argue the only successful version of Marxism that has been tried uh, over the several years in terms of strategy. Uh, overall, you can't build a civilization with this. But Marxism itself failed, and that's what Marx, Marxists had to come to grips with very early on. Everything that Marx uh, claimed and predicted did not come about. The original Marxist philosophy of life was that you would have at the center of it a complete godlessness, a, a, di a dialectical materialism, that everything would be driven from economics, economic self-interest. Eventually, conditions would deteriorate so badly that um, people would rise up and overthrow their capitalist overlords and establish a system of socialist sharing, which ultimately would create a communist state and the state would wither away and a new consciousness would develop and utopia would follow. None of that happened. Uh, and uh, he, Marx also argued this would happen in advanced capitalist societies, the United States, the UK, where he had spent much of his life in London. So uh, none of that came about. Ultimately, it was this backwater in Russia, which was still agrarian and uh, was bypassing capitalism entirely. So Antonio Gramsci was an Italian communist who was arrested in the 20s, uh, spent years upon years in prison, died very young because of uh, some of the suffering that he went through. While he was in prison, he asked himself this question, why did we fail? Mm. And he said, the reason is because we focused on the government, but government isn't really what people look to. There are a whole bunch of other institutions, social institutions, intermediary institutions that are much more important, things like family, education. Uh, business, and we have to change that. He's the one who coined the phrase that you've heard so often, the long march through the institutions, that socialists had to take these cultural-creating institutions 
and transform them from the inside out. Uh, and ultimately, the idea is that where, whereas in the old days, these institutions taught a Christian worldview, Christians would be placed on the outside, and those institutions would be used to teach Marxism, but in a slightly different form. It would be based more in culture than in economics. Gramsci understood exactly what he was talking about here. He said, in the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture through the infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. Socialism is precisely the religion which must kill Christianity. And so that's how he saw the world, is this clash of worldviews or a clash of world ideologies. And that's the uh, blueprint that many people took and ran with. Uh, there's a school known as the Frankfurt School, which is the primary institution uh, when people talk about cultural Marxism. I, again, I prefer the term neo-Marxism. It's probably uh, more correct. But um, they focused on liberating uh, people, in their term, from traditional morality. Uh, there's a, a, an in individual by the name of Theodore Adorno who said that uh, fascism is basically the idea of your grandparent or the traditional 50s parent who tells you to go to church instead of going to the drive-in, uh, tells you to follow traditional morality. He said that's the kind of ideology and conformity that leads people to fascism. You need to liberate yourself from this old standard stodgy morality and let your individual creativity fly and go out there and embrace your own hedonism. Uh, there was a book by his contemporary, uh, Hubert Marcuse, called Eros and Civilization, that basically said that sex will be the liberation of the world. Sexual morality needs to be displaced by sexual indulgence. Uh, his book even kind of seemed to praise pedophilia. He said the road to higher culture leads through the true love of boys. So it's, it's the idea of complete self-indulgence in all kinds of sexuality. And... That, of course, became very popular with the counterculture in the 1960s, and gradually, as people avoided uh, Vietnam by going into college and getting advanced degrees, they went into academia. And so you find people like uh, Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers and the members of the Weather Underground are all distinguished professors with uh, endowed chairs at various high-ranking universities, and all of them are teaching this idea of mar cultural Marxism that American society is oppressing people by forcing them to conform to uh, the old American ideal of voluntary adherence to religion. And uh, religion is really what's oppressing society in one form or another. And ultimately, that's expressed itself through identity politics, that uh, there's a racial component to that oppression, as well as an economic and a personal or hedonistic view of that oppression. But it's all presented as though it's it's a system, it's ingrained in a system, and that system is constitutional capitalism based on the American Judeo-Christian ethic, and that ethic has to be destroyed, and with it, the constitution which embodies that ethic has to be destroyed and replaced by, they don't call it Marxism, but in, increasingly the, the shades are coming down through Bernie Sanders and AOC, it's socialism, and that's what uh, they hope will replace it, truly in the words of Gramsci. Socialism is precisely the religion which must kill Christianity. All right. Constitutional capitalism uh, is a phrase you just used. Capitalism. I'm writing this down. Constitutional capitalism. Um, that, I think, is a phrase that we have to talk about as well. I know we don't have time to do it today, but let's tee that up to remind ourselves. It, it feels like, it feels like to me that um, there's an endless, I mean, literally endless list of 
demands that neo-Marxists would make that could never be satisfied because it's an unquenchable thirst for someone else to pay your way for everything. And eventually you run out of, I mean, you know, I recognize I'm not the first person to say this, you run out of other people's money. And at some point, this doesn't, well, it doesn't work for many, many reasons, but it doesn't work very, very quickly in a nation like ours. I mean, like, I, I just, they're, they're, they're not interested in a reformation of who we are and how we function. When they use the term revolution, they are, that is what they are talking about. And I'm not sure that average Americans believe that, but I believe it. I believe that the, that the people who want to completely subvert what you have described as constitutional capitalism, they want revolution in the United States of America, and it's, unsati- it's insatiable. It's not as if they're going to be satisfied with some kind of reform in their local community at the state level or, or nationally, because what they want cannot actually be satisfied by the system of which we are all a part and I'm so glad that you used that term insatiable because there's no there's no compromise that will solve this, as you point out. What they want is a genuine no, utopia. This is how they end up in these like uh, firing squads. I mean, of one another. I mean, you can't you cannot move to the left fast enough. No, and and uh, there's no amount of of cultural compromise that will ever make this uh, palatable for anyone. The fact of the matter is, th- this is about settling scores. It's about uh, gr- holding long term grudges and calling people to account, and ultimately, you always run out of cultural money and cultural capital before you run out of grievance. Exactly. All right, we got we got to go. I, I thank you so much. Um, so much more to talk about. I definitely want to talk with you about the um, report issued, uh, or the guidance uh, issued yesterday by um, the Department of Education. Definitely looking forward to talking with you about that. That's right in your wheelhouse. So let's, uh, let's tee that up for a future conversation. Ben Johnson, thank you so much. Thank you, and God bless. Likewise. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. We have talked about the reality of Church 2, the Me Too reality of the church. We have spoken on a number of occasions with survivors of sexual abuse in the church. Jennifer Michelle Greenberg is one of those We've talked with her on a couple of occasions. Uh, We talked with her when her book, Not Forsaken, uh, came out. We also talked with her as a part of our um, uh, Church Cares conversations um, when we were talking about equipping churches to respond. Well, Jennifer um, has posted on her website a shepherd's guide to Not Forsaken. So it's called Not Forsaken, A Shepherd's Guide. This is literally um, a free downloadable resource to educate church leaders on how to uh, recognize, respond to, and uh, and, and handle um, abuse in the church. This is, um, this is quite a gift, and Jennifer's up next to share it with us that we might in turn share it with others. We'll be right back. No one makes it through life without dealing with this human emotion, loss. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. The pain that follows loss is something none of us escape. 
It's overwhelming when you've lost something or someone. You know what it's like to grieve a broken relationship or spend sleepless nights fretting over the loss of a dream. Well, those same painful feelings are stirred up in your teen as well. When they don't get what they want, they experience the hollowness of disappointment. But unlike adults, teens rarely know how to express it. So keep your eyes open for grief in your teen's life and always be ready to give them a hug. All of us need those arms of affection that remind us everything's going to be okay. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Michelle Greenberg is uh, a gift to each and every one of us who wants to not only better understand and serve victims of sexual abuse and other abuse in the life of the church, um, but she's a gift in the way that she continues to equip us via her website and um, and what she is writing and passing on uh, to the rest of us. So Jennifer, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Paul, do I have her? Yes. Can you hear me? Hi. How are you? How are you today? I'm, I'm doing good. I said thank you so much for having me, but I guess I cut out. That's okay. That's okay. We can hear you. Um, so okay, um, I, I want to talk today about uh, Not Forsaken, a Shepherd's Guide. And let me just go ahead and tell everybody it is a free downloadable resource on Jennifer's website, so you can find it at Jennifer Greenberg. Greenberg is all ease. So just use all E's when you're typing Greenberg, jennifergreenberg.net. And what you're looking for is Not Forsaken, Shepherd's Guide. Um, What was the motivation behind doing this? You and I have talked about your story. We've talked about um, your book, Not Forsaken. How did then the Shepherd's Guide come to be? Yeah, so I released my, uh, my book, Not Forsaken, last year. And, you know, during the, during the, writing and editing process. And then in the year following that, um, I received many phone calls, emails uh, from pastors and church leaders telling me about these terrible abuse situations in their congregations, asking me how to deal with them, um, telling me about, you know, maybe somebody who they, you know, they thought they were seeing some red flags, but they just weren't sure. And how do they identify these, these, you know, an abuser or an abusive situation? And so I decided to just kind of create this this study. Um, it's 15 chapters. Uh, if you use it with the book, Not Forsaken, I believe it's 29 lessons in all. So it can be a personal study. It can be something that's taught in a classroom, like in seminary. But my goal is to equip pastors and church leaders to identify, understand, and respond well to these situations. And if I can, if, you know, God willing, if, uh, you know, uh, seminaries are able to teach this in classrooms, we can, uh, we can equip church leaders before they get out to, into the field, before they're blindsided by these by these terrible situations so that, you know, hopefully we'll see less um, tragic headlines in the news about another bungled abuse situation in the church, because I, I really, 
I really truly believe that if we educate and we equip our leaders better, then they will respond to abuse better. Which is ultimately the goal. Ultimately, the goal is to prevent it absolutely, you know, as best we can, and then to respond as well as we can um, when it happens. Jennifer, I feel like um, you and I are sensitive to the fact that there may well be people listening right now who are in um, an abusive relationship and or have experienced abuse. And so we want to be sensitive to that. We want to be sensitive to the fact that some of the things that we will be talking about today and some of the things that are contained in Not Forsaken, A Shepherd's Guide um, might be distressing to some people. Talk with us about how um, how to best acknowledge to another person that we see them and we suspect mm-hmm. that they have something that is, someone is hurting them. Like how, how yeah. do we take a step in that direction? Sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's obviously how you respond, how you reach out is going to be different based on what type of abuse you think you might be seeing. You know, if it's emotional abuse, you might, you might be able to be more forward Um, you know, and approach both couples, you might even be able to approach who you think is the abuser and say, hey, you know, I've noticed that you're not treating this person um, in a way that that seems, you know, loving is is something going on. Um, But then again, you know, if you suspect sexual abuse, or violence in particular, you may need to be more careful about how you approach that situation, because you don't want to um, uh, cause the abuser to Uh, lash out or in any way punish the victim for showing signs of suffering. Um, So it, you know, it's, it's, it's delicate. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that, you know, one easy way to reach out to anyone who's, who's going through a hard time is, you know, just saying, Hey, you know, look, I, I've noticed these things, you know, maybe you seem, you seem depressed, you seem, anxious. You know, I've noticed that you apologize a lot for things that are not your fault. Um, and I, mm. I really want to support you and I want to be there for you. And if there's anything you ever want to talk about, I'm here, you can call me, you know, this, this, it's completely, you know, you know, and, and just, just, just be there for them. It's confidential. Obviously, you know, you don't want to lie and say you're not going to report sexual abuse or domestic violence, but you can give them the impression that, you know, this will stay between us. I'm not going to go tell your abuser, you know, um, and I, you know, I'd really love to pray with you and just get involved with that person. Um, maybe see if they'd be willing to, um, you know, if you're really worried about them, just getting to know them better, I think, is a good uh, strategy um, so that they know that you're there. Um, and hopefully you can build that trust so that finally they'll tell you, you know what, this is what's going on in my life. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Yeah, this is such, is. A, is such a hard um, subject matter area. And you are helping us understand it from your own perspective. Um, and then you are really just beautifully equipping us to do better as individual Christians and as communities of faith. I am talking with Jennifer Michelle Greenberg. You can find A Shepherd's Guide, Not Forsaken, A Shepherd's Guide as a downloadable resource. It is free at her website, jennifergreenberg.net. Um, and we're going to talk more about it when we come back. Let me um, let me be quick, though, to to offer these phone numbers if you are in 
a crisis right now, if you are in an emergency situation and someone is hurting you, call 911. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are considering taking your own life, please call the U.S. Suicide Prevention Hotline right now at 1-800-273-8255. And if you are suffering sexual abuse um, or you have suffered sexual assault, please call the Sexual Assault Hotline at one 800 656-4673, and also the U.S. Domestic Violence Hotline, 1-800-799-7233. Jennifer and I are concerned about what is happening in isolation behind closed doors when we are separated from one another in community, Mm -hmm. Um, but resources are available, and we want you to apprise yourself of the ones that you need. More in just a moment with Jennifer Michelle Greenberg. Author of Not Forsaken, we're talking today about The Shepherd's Guide, and we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Jennifer Michelle Greenberg, you can find the resources we are discussing today. You can find them at jennifergreenberg.net. Uh, Not Forsaken, A Shepherd's Guide is a free downloadable resource. I am highly recommending it, not only for you um, as an individual Christian who might use this in your own personal study or a study with a a group of people, but I absolutely commend it to everyone who is a church leader and a pastor. Trust me when I tell you, you need this, especially if you think you don't. You need this. (laughs) Um, Jennifer, uh, one of the great things about your book, and it's, um, it's full of so many wonderful resources. Um, but I love the dictionary because I, I am a person who um, hears and sees words and then mm-hmm. thinks to myself, I'm clearly supposed to know what that means. And then sometimes <laughs> I say, could you define that for me? I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and so um, there are lots of really interesting words in the dictionary of this book, but I'm going to ask you about three. One I had never okay. heard of, and that is flying monkey. <laughs> Yes. Um, so a flying monkey, the inspiration is from the Wizard of Oz when the Which Wicked Witch. Which is just a creepy scene. Let's just admit Absolutely. flying monkeys still haunt our nightmares. Go ahead. I was never afraid of monkeys until I saw that. So, right. yes, the Wicked Witch of the West, uh, instead of facing Dorothy head on, she sends her flying monkeys out to harass and assault Dorothy. And so sometimes abusers, particularly narcissistic abusers, they will spread gossip. They will tell lies. They will um, start rumors and they will, you know, they'll try to convince your friends. Hey, you know, Jennifer, she's really been acting depressed lately. You know, I think maybe she's, you know, something's mentally off with her. You know, can you go and talk with her and see how she's doing? And so before you know it, you've got like five eight, ten friends, siblings, family members calling you on the phone, texting you saying, hey, I thought, you know, I heard you were you were suicidal or I thought that or I heard that you, um, you know, had this delusional idea about so and so and they think, you know, they, they're worried about you and we want to encourage you to go to the doctor. And so and it's the weirdest thing because you start hearing from all these different people that, you know, you've done something you didn't do or that you said something you didn't say. You're acting in a way that you're, you know, you feel fine. And um, and so it's very disorienting. Um, And so that's just one of the one of the mind games that abusers will play with their victims to try to make them question their sanity, 
to try to make them feel insecure, to try to make them feel like they don't have support around them and that they must be the ones in the wrong or even if they're not in the wrong, that they're not going to um, – they're not going to prevail in this situation. Everybody's going to believe the worst of them. And so it's, it's very discouraging and it's really very cruel. All right. That has set a mental hook in my mind. I'll never forget again what a flying (laughs) monkey is. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, All right. Now here's a term I hear a lot and I'll just admit to you, I'm not sure I fully understand gaslighting. Yes. So that's that's when I was actually uh, explaining to a pastor recently. Now, this one is also inspired by a movie. Interestingly enough, I have to admit I have not seen it. But in the movie, there is an abusive husband who is trying to convince his wife that she is crazy. And so what he does is he he uh, plays tricks on her. So like he'll dim the gaslight. And then she'll say, hey, are the lights dimming? And he'll say, no, what are you talking about? And he'll act like the things that she's perceiving around her are all in her head. And so abusers will do this to us. Um, Like I remember my dad, when I was a kid, I could be running a fever. And he'd say, you're just looking for excuses to not do your homework, to not do your chores, stop lying, stop exaggerating, you know, uh, do the dishes. I remember one time... I had chicken pox. I was, I was, I want to say 18. I had chicken pox. So I'm covered, right, in pox. I'm running a fever. I'm miserable. And, you know, I had, it was a bad case. So I had them down my throat. I was struggling to breathe. And he was acting like I was, I was nuts. Like it was all in my head. And that was the most extreme um, experience I ever had with gaslighting. But it's just an example. The abuser is trying to um, make the victim question their perception of reality, question their their logical faculties, their reason, um, their intellect. Because if you if you don't trust your own intelligence, if you don't trust your own senses and reason, then you're going to start second guessing everything. Well, am I really being abused? Did he really mean what I think he meant? You know, it was was this really wrong? Maybe it was all in my head. Maybe I'm blowing things out of proportion. And so that's the abuser's goal when they are gaslighting. I don't know if there's a word for this, um, but what what? How would you describe it when someone is trying to get somebody to remember history differently? Hmm. That, that's Maybe that one. doesn't that, have a term, but that happens, I, and I'm yeah, like absolutely. super familiar with that one. Yeah, it, it's probably a form of gaslighting. I mean, you're you're basically they're basically trying to um, separate uh, you from reality and, and get you to admit something that or to believe something that didn't actually happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's okay. A, I would and, I would call that a kind of gaslighting. Yeah. All right. And then there's this there's there's a sort of this large term, comprehensive term, and that's porn or pornography. But (laughs) my goodness, you know, porn is not just porn. It's like there's like so many varieties and nuances and all of that. Instead of instead of going through all of those, could you just um, could you make the connection for people listening right now who don't really think there's anything wrong with porn? Could you make the connection um, between pornography and abuse. Absolutely. So for an example, uh, when my dad was grooming me and grooming means, um, basically mentally preparing a victim to keep their secrets, 
to uh, to submit to them, to be afraid, to feel to be mentally, emotionally vulnerable to them. Um, one of the things my dad used to do is he would save pornography to my computer, the computer that I used for my homework. So I'd, you know, I was maybe 10, 11 years old. I'd go to log into my desktop on our family computer um, to pull open a book report or whatever, and I would see this image that I didn't remember saving and I'd click on it and it's this big obscene, you know, nasty thing. And, and a lot of times for him, it was violent scenes. So it, it might've been like rape scenes. Um, and you know, that it was very traumatic for me and I didn't understand what it was at the time. Um, you know, I was a kid, so he would tell me, Oh, it's because you go to these websites like MySpace, and then, and then these, uh, you know, these, these images are downloaded and I, you know, I just believed him. That wasn't true, but I believed him cause he's my dad and I didn't know any better. So, um, but that kind of just in my head, it, it made abuse seem more normal. It kind of numbed me to a lot of things that I should have found very disturbing and, um, upsetting and distressing. It made me less likely to tell, to tell people what, what my dad was saying or what he was doing or how he was behaving, you know, because, because I had seen photos of all this stuff and I thought it was normal or maybe, you know, I expected something like rape to be a very extremely violent thing, whereas it's not necessarily that at all. So, um, you know, I, I think that it was used in a, in a very abusive way in that sense, um, but of course, you also have the issue in the porn industry where you have underage girls or you have women who are being abused and people mm -hmm. are photographing this. Um, they're trafficking these people and boys, too. You know, this mm -hmm. isn't just you know, women are not the only victims of abuse, um, of sexual abuse. Um, I would guess that, you know, around half of the, the victims and survivors I talk to are actually male. Um, so, so porn very much, you know, when you are purchasing porn, even if it's, um, you know, something like really, I don't know what the word is, uh, mainstream for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, like, right. like play, like playboy, you know, you're still, you're still funding an industry that is comprised largely of abusers and victims. And it's, it's just not a good thing to support. It's a dangerous thing to support. Yep. And, and also I feel that, you know, I, I know I watched this happen with my dad. I think that the more he looked at these images, the more dehumanized I became in his mind, the more dehumanized women became in his mind. And to the point that when I was um, uh, 19, 20, 21, we, uh, he and I had this, uh, no, I would have been 19 because we were arguing about whether or not I could stay in college. And he didn't think that women should go to college. Mm -hmm. And I remember him telling me, you know, all men will ever view you as is a piece of meat and you need mm -hmm. to get used to that. Mm -hmm. And that's the message of porn. Um, Jennifer, thank you, first of all, so much for your transparency, your vulnerability. I know that it's um, it's not easy to talk about these things, but it's important for you um, this is uh, obviously the role that God has called you to. The resource is called Not Forsaken, A Shepherd's Guide. You can find it. It's downloadable for free at jennifergreenberg.com.
Net. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Everybody else, hang in there. We've got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.